group of 20-year-olds in this church. Phenomenal. I'm serious. I would stack the group of people that we have in their 20s up against any group of 20s that I would see anywhere, anytime. There are, they are smart. They are godly. They are going after the Lord. We have, there's a thing that God's doing. There's a lot of things God's doing in this church. And I'm telling you, one of the most amazing places is in the 20s. It's just extraordinary what's happening. I'm, I, I get to go there about once a month, and that's the only time they let me in, and it's awesome, okay? I just am blown away by them. Now, having said that, we have one of, that, one of, their, one of their members uh, that's going to be preaching to us today, and I want to tell you why he's preaching today. First of all, this is not why he's preaching, but I want to tell you, this is one of the funnest people that I know. If you can get him to go to lunch with you, and if you can, then that's a real feather in your cap, okay? He's a little introverted, and he's not really going to want to do that. But if you can get him to go to lunch, you will, you will hear more clever quips than you've ever heard before in your life. I mean things that you will be quoting to people months later. I have quoted many things he has said to me at lunches, Right? here, and I always get a big laugh with the things that he says, because they're very clever, okay? When I first got to know him, I found I was from MIT, and I thought to myself, that's just always somebody I want to get to know, because, you know, obviously you're going to have an interesting conversation in some light, right? These are people that have worked hard in their life, and, and they're pretty sharp to begin with, and everybody has their giftings and so on, but I love a great conversation, and, you know, somebody like this, and that's exactly who Lance has been in my life, and I love it every time I get together with him. He's just remarkable. But I have to tell you, that doesn't get you an invitation to preach here. Being a good lunch guest does not get you an invitation to preach, okay? What gets you an invitation to preach here is that the Lord quickens and says, have this person preach. I asked you how many months ago? When I, when I first started asking, it was years ago, because I knew I'd have to warm him up. And now we got to here, and I asked you several months ago, and that's back when we were doing Empowered. And he said, I do have a sermon. I asked him to pray, and do you have something? And he said, I do. And he told me what it was, and I went, that is fantastic, but it doesn't have anything to do with what we're doing. Now, that wouldn't have stopped me from scheduling him. But I just prayed about it, and I went, God, where do you want him to go? And he said, here. And then, in August, God talked to me about Reset. And Reset is all about shoring up foundations. It's about going after fundamentals. Well, guess what his sermon is about? Literally, if you were to take and graph out what the Lord has said in each one of the Reset Sermons, me and others, you would see that the Lord is systematically ticking off point by point by point of the most fundamental things that it means to be a Christian. This is another one of those. And it's coming from one of my favorite people in all the world. So would you give a big warm Lake Sam welcome to the best lunch date you'll ever get. Okay, hey, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lance. Um, for those of you who do know me, uh, you're probably wondering how Kurt managed to get me to come up here, but I'm up here all the same. Uh, 
it was sort of like I told him I would think about it, and then I was saying to myself, oh, only if God tells me to. And I really didn't want him to tell me to, and then he came out and he told me, and okay. I was like, oh, obedience, okay, <laughs> again. So I'm up here, um, and this sermon has been just a really interesting journey for me. I have seen so many things I didn't expect to see. Um, you know, just being my first time, I, it was just, I was so scared about coming up here and I just, you know, I'm not, I'm an introvert. I don't write a whole lot. I don't uh, communicate a lot. And so it was just like, okay, I'm working on the sermon and it's taking so much time. And it was taking more and more time every time I worked on it. it like, I would write something and then God would say, oh, not that. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to give up this. I wrote this, but I'm going to start over. And he started me over a couple of times, which is, you know, kind of testing that, oh, are you going to just do what I say aspect or are you going to want to do it your own way? And, but one of the aspects about me going over this so many times was it was taking more and more time, you know, as I'm getting closer to the date when I actually need to preach. It's sort of like, oh, okay, you reset me or started me over, you know, two weeks ago. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to need to spend a lot more time to get this done. And at first, okay, I started spending time in the morning. It kind of absorbed my morning exercise, you know, that was on its way out anyway. So, okay, gone. And it kind of absorbed my Devo, which was like, okay, it's kind of same as my devotional. I'm seeking God, so that's fine. Then my evenings came up for the cut list, and I wanted to resist. Um, but I was, I was okay still. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't mad at God. I was like, okay, you know, this is important. Let's do it. Then this weird thing happened. It started taking more time. And now it, it was coming up against the amount of time I spend working. So I work a lot of hours over time. Um, and, you know, I really enjoy what I do. And so when it started clashing with work, I suddenly started hitting this barrier with me where I was like, I'm not really willing to give that up. Um, I'm not willing to go home early when I'm getting into a project. I'm not willing to come in late when I, had, I just had this really good idea about how to do this. And it just sort of hit me that when it came between God and work, work was more important for me. And it wasn't until later that I realized how much of a difference that was making. Um, I was having a conflict with a friend um, at work. Uh, we work on the same team. And 
there was a issue at work that was causing a lot of pain, um, and he was supposed to fix it. I had one way of doing it. He had another way of doing it. So we were clashing about it from the start, and then when he actually finished, it was better, but it wasn't the way I thought it should be, and it was still an issue, and it was still costing me occasionally, oh, 20 minutes here because this thing takes so long. And so I decided uh, I'm going to fix him. Um, there was a story that popped into my head um, between my sister. She was having a conversation with my aunt, and she said she was pouring out her heart to my aunt. Um, you know, all her problems, and my aunt looks up and she says, when is Lance coming home? And she felt really disrespected and disregarded, not in like a bad way, you know, my aunt didn't mean any harm, but, you know, it was like, okay, my problems don't matter, uh, but Lance's itinerary, that's number one on the list. So, okay. This story connected in my brain, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix him by... When he's talking about this subject, I know how to show disrespect now. And so I coaxed us into talking about this subject <laughs> that <laughs> we had learned not to talk about. And while he was talking, I pulled out my phone and, you know, that's an, I, don't even care what, I didn't even care what was on my phone. The more important thing was showing him disrespect. And he probably didn't even know it. I wasn't looking at anything. I, you know, it was just home screen. Nothing's here. And to finish it up, I look over at my other friend who was, we were eating with, and I changed the subject because I wanted to show him that's what I thought of his opinion. And I didn't feel gratify it like I thought it would. I thought that was going to release that pent-up anger, but it didn't. And it made me uncomfortable. So, you know how these uncomfortable things are. You know, you come in the morning and you're praying and God won't let you just sort of ignore that and walk around it. And so I eventually, one day we were walking and I apologized-ish. Um... <laughs> Like, you know, I was like, yeah, I got carried away because I was not going to tell him about the premeditated malicious intent there. <laughs> so, but, you know, he's a nice guy. He probably didn't think too much about it. Um, so that moment, I'm thinking, okay, I had a bit of a tiff with being mean-spirited and prideful because I thought my point of view was the most important. But as I was working on this sermon, suddenly, and I was seeing work come in conflict with what God wanted me to do, I suddenly had this realization that it wasn't about 
just the pride or the mean-spiritedness. That was just being given fuel by this fact that I thought that work was the most important thing, and if something got in the way of my work, then it's something that should be eliminated and stopped. And I can be callous, I can be as mean as I want to be, as long as I get my point across in that respect. And so, you know, God shows this to me, so I am bothered by the fact that he's not the top in my life, but I don't know if this is true for other people, but I'm bothered, but I'm not really that bothered, you know? I mean, you know, you have New Year's resolutions and, you know, March 23rd, you're not bothered anymore. You're like, okay, 2018, it's a wrap. I'm moving on now. 2019, it's going to be the new year. And that's how I felt. It was like, okay, I'm bothered, but let's keep going. Um, but, you know, just as I kept working through the sermon, it became more and more clear how important it was that God be the top in my life and the difference that it can make. So, you know, there was this kind of question, though. Okay, you know, how do I actually live that out? And, you know, that's what I want us to go through today. Like, how do we actually move from these other things being more important to us. You know, we have Netflix, we have games, we have movies, we have drugs, we have all these things that are important to us. How do I move from that to where God is the top in my life? So we're going to have, uh, I think, Michelle praying for us. So lift up the sermon, lift up me, lift up another church. Thanks. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here today that's purposely here. And I thank you for your son's obedience and that um, you are so committed to helping us grow in every area of our life. And I lift up prison fellowship and every man and woman that ministers uh, in that fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I felt like we should start with the basics. You know, we say that we should love God with everything we have, but where does that come from? So, that comes from... Go on. Deuteronomy 6 here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in, the, in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And, you know, this is this commandment that's sitting in here. And we think about the Ten Commandments a lot. You know, Ten Commandments are actually in Deuteronomy 5. So right after that comes this commandment. So whenever we 
are thinking, you know, I don't murder or I don't steal or adultery is not really my thing. We can't just ignore those things and, or, or sorry, we can't just get right about those things and ignore this one because it's right there with it. And beyond that, this is this thing that he's telling us all the time we're supposed to be doing. You know, and he, he doesn't leave out any aspect of ourselves. You know, it's all your heart, all your soul, all your might. You know, and I want to give him part of my heart, part of my soul, part of my might, and part means that I am breaking this commandment. Unless it's all, I'm, I'm not following this. And it's not just about all of the pieces of me, just like, oh, you know, I can, if I love him with everything I have um, in the morning, then that's not the full story. You know, he's telling us, this is what you teach to your children. This is what you talk about when you're in your house, when you're out, when you get up, when you go to sleep. Like, all that time, not one single second is excluded. We have to be loving God with everything. So, okay, this is the basis. And, but you can have this sort of like, okay, this is old covenant stuff. I'm, you know, we're new covenant now. So Jesus debunks that when he's asked, um, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, you know, I have my Bible here, and I don't know. I would probably never tear up a Bible. Um, it just seems like irreverent or something. And he's telling me that every single page in here, all the stories, all the lessons, all the commandments are summed up by these two commandments. So when I break that law, I might as well tear up this Bible. When I ignore that, I might as well throw it away. I just, I feel like we don't really get like how real it should be. Like we kind of, we make, we break commandments like this and we move on. But, you know, if we have something tangible like this, we don't, we can get kind of an anchor where we can see what it actually really means, what we're doing. But it shouldn't surprise me that we break the commandments because, as always, Jesus tells us what's going, that this is going to happen. He says, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And so, you know, I'm intimately aware with those first two, carousing and drunkenness. You know, I know how those stand between me and God. You know, those are the, that's representing the sort of traditional sins. 
but when we have these anxieties of life. So he didn't want us to be confused. He reveals it to us that it's not just those obvious things, it's also these cares and worries and these things that we wouldn't think about normally. Games, books, it can be anything. Um, these are the things that are going to be drawing us away from him. And there's going to come a day when he comes back and we're not going to be ready because meanwhile, these things have been playing their record and they've gotten in our ear. And he says it's going to close on us suddenly like a trap. You know, there's not evites and reminders and save the date. Like, he's coming and we're not going to know. It's just going to be all of a sudden and... You know, there's not going to be that person in first period that tells you about the pop quiz. He's just going to be there. And, but he was telling me this morning, it's like, he actually does remind us because we have me up here today. We have Kurt who preaches, or all the people who come up and preach. We have the Bible constantly telling us, love God, love your neighbor, be ready. So the day shouldn't actually come as that big of a surprise if we're ready. Okay, so now how do we actually manifest this in our lives? You know, a lot of times I'll be sitting at church and it's like, okay, good learning, but how do I do something with that? Um, so I think the first thing God wants us to do is reflect. I, want, I think he wants us to be asking him about all these, just asking him about our life and putting it all on the table for him to tell us straight out, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong. You know, he may even say, this is right. You know, do more of this. But I think he just wants us to be asking him and not... Uh, going by our un own understanding here. I love how David says it. He said it in Psalms. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, he didn't come with this pre-canned list of, oh, you know, God, you need to surgically fix this while I keep everything else the same. Instead, he's like, okay, you know, full scan, all the, you know, CAT scan, x-ray, everything that's in me is open for you to see. Tell me if there's anything grievous, anything offensive to your will in me. And then after that, show me what your will is. Lead me in the way everlasting. And... There's this awesome aspect where it's not just that we, can, we have to send off to God, you know, can you please tell me what's wrong with my life? You know, send him a letter. He sends you back. This is what's wrong with your life. Uh, please fix these things by next Tuesday. Like, luckily, we have the Holy Spirit. We're dwelling inside of us and... We see in Romans, it says, 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit is sitting there in us, completely aware of all of these things that we that are obvious to us, you know, the things that are on the list that we know we need to fix, the things that are not obvious to us, the things that are where we've been dealing with for so long and has been there for so long that we don't even talk about it anymore. And the Spirit knows about each and every one of those things. And He's there, right there, praying to God, right alongside us when we open ourselves up to tell God and, you know, I know that Lance is, has a problem with pride and mean-spiritedness, and, but Lance doesn't know about that problem with work. And just reveal it to him. And he did. Um, but that can't be the full story. You know, I made this when I was in college. Um, it was like, I don't know if people are aware of these demotivators, but uh, it says awareness because someone else can solve the world's problems. And back then, you know, those bracelets, they were a real hot thing. And, but you see, like, what the feeling I always got was we put on a bracelet and we are aware but we're not doing anything. You know, like, can I donate or can I volunteer time? Like, what's the action item? Like, because awareness is not going to cure this disease. Like, you know, awareness isn't going to help these people who need help. So, likewise, I think God wants us to go beyond being aware and repent about these things that are standing in the way of us and him. You know, ask for forgiveness, but then change. Um, it says in James, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And, you know, we don't... It seems ridiculous to us, right? You know, someone looks in a mirror and forgets what they look like. But then I sin in the morning oh, God, I know I have this problem with pride and mean-spiritedness. You know, please just fix that. Off to work. You know what? I'm kind of hot stuff, and they need, to, they need to listen to me. And, I mean, and it, I wish there was more time in between when I forgot what he said. 
or, or forgot my earnest plea that he would change me, but I'd probably make a turnaround in about an hour, you know. Um, okay, so. There is this, so, okay, we need to be doers, but I find that I'm a pretty weak doer, so there was this encouraging thing that God said to the Israelites who were also pretty weak doers. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And in the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good for, to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. So God sends Jeremiah to the potter because he wants to make a point that we can be spoiled in his hands and he's not going to throw us away because we're not doing well. Instead, he's sitting there waiting to remold us into this proper vessel that is actually this beautiful thing that is what he's intending for us. I remember as a part of this work saga for me um, and pride, and I came to the front of the church after one of the messages, and they were having people pray for us, and I asked them to pray for pride for me, like not pray for my pride, but Pray that I can get rid of pride. And, you know, I didn't really expect much, but as we were praying, I was just sort of like trying to push it away and it wouldn't go away. But then it was like the Holy Spirit came and he lifted it up and it was so light to him. Um, and... And it was like, suddenly I felt just, I probably have never had a better day, like, um, where I just felt like, oh, this is what your presence feels like. I felt a little bit of it, but now I'm feeling your presence bigger. And I know how transformative it is and how it can change this thing that I never was able to do myself. So, you know, say I fix this problem with pride, this problem with work. What's next? 
The last part I think God wants to show to us is we need to be seeking him because we can get rid of work, we can get rid of games, we can get rid of parties, gatherings, schedules, whatever it may be that is standing between us and God and something else is going to be waiting there to take its place. And if we seek him, the thing that can be waiting there can be him. Jesus says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Most of my family thinks that I'm pretty, uh, like I have a pretty strong like, will and like, you know, when they're eating snacks or whatever, you know, a lot of times I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I won't take that. I'm, gonna, I'm on a diet right now. But I have seen myself get just completely railroaded by work, this pride thing. Like, I, I never knew that I could just be so completely, um, like that my will would basically just sort of almost count for nothing. That strong armor of my own will, I couldn't trust it. And Jesus, when he says, whoever is, not, whoever is not with me is against me, he's saying, you either are standing on my side or you're standing on this other side. There's, not, you, there's no middle ground that you can stand in. There's, if I'm standing over here, I'm under his protection. He's working in my life. I'm seeking him, and he's responding. He's telling me I'm responding, or I'm standing over here where, with the world things that are slowly but surely, sometimes not so slowly, stealing away from the things that he's trying to show me. You know, I, as a part of this sermon, uh, I took a week off of work. Um, I was like, okay, I need, I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to really, I'm going to, you know, I was saying in my heart, you know, work is not going to be the top thing and so I'm going to have this time. But then there were some really good television shows I wanted to watch. And there was some, and I, oh, and there was this book that I like to read, and and as one might expect, I managed to spend that entire vacation watching television. And the sermon, by the way, was sitting undone. So right there, even though I got rid of work, it turns out that peeking over the fence, looking, oh, is it my turn yet, was television. And if it was only television, maybe I could knock out those two. But there's all these other things 
that are waiting there. Now, Jesus continues, and he says, When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes and finds the house swept and put in order, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So I get rid of work, I get rid of work but then I get into the snare of television, books. Uh, I don't know, there's tons of things. And for me, it may be work, but for other people, it's going to be, your, your list is your list. And I just, I feel like what we need to do is figure out what that list is so that we can... We can just work with him to remove that. And, but we're going to be seeking him in the process so that he can be there when that thing, or maybe something we didn't even think was going to come out, comes up to take our time or take our love away from him, comes along. He can be right there saying, no, you don't own this man or this woman that belongs to me, that has given themselves over to me. In Romans, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he's telling us, when we give our lives over to him completely, not our leg, <laughs> you know, not part of it. He is going to reveal to us and we're going to be able to discern his good and perfect will. And that will isn't just his list of orders. That will is love too. That will is how much he loves these, everyone around us that they can't see. So, I think all of this is summed up in a verse that actually I've, this has been like a verse that's stuck with me from, I have to say like sophomore year of college, and it was, just, I realized it this morning, it was like a blessing that it came back to me as this verse that encompasses everything that I'm saying today. And everything, that, well, everything God is saying today. Therefore, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, I think what we need to do is look at Jesus 
him who endured such opposition from sinners? Why was he willing to go up on the cross and die for us? Um, why go to that extreme step? Because I think in there lies the answer to why we should be loving him. So the first thing is he's worthy. Like he is worth every bit of effort we put into what he wants from us. Because he saw worth in us when we didn't see it. But there's this second thing, evidence to the world. There's a book that someone mentioned to me at once. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I actually haven't read the book, but I love the title because it's, it just gives me this connotation of evidence so strong that it forces you to make a decision. And I feel like that's what our lives should be. Because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We encounter people in our daily lives, our friends, our family, our coworkers, people that we just meet along the street, people that we see in passing. And they're looking to us. And the question becomes, are they going to see God there. And the reason why this is so important to me is because I was that world. We grew up in a Christian home. Everyone around us professed to be Christian. Um, my sister, she went off to college and she got involved in campus ministry. And when she came back, she was really excited about God. I mean, on fire for him. Like, that's what she wanted to talk about. That's what she wanted to be doing. And, you know, I thought, she's making a big deal out of this Christian thing. You know, everyone we know is Christian. What's the big deal, you know? And... At one point, we were having an argument over the remote. <laughs> and that's what siblings fight about, come on, you know. That in front seat, those are the two great battlegrounds. And she wouldn't yield, and so I told her, you are just as mean and selfish as you've always been. And I wasn't expecting her to cry. She, I was expecting, you know, this is going to be our normal, I say mean thing, she says mean thing, it's okay. But then she cried, and I realized that it was real for her. And not just that it was real for, her, real for her, that it just simply was real. 
this thing, this God that I heard about and had relegated to being just another part of my checklist was real. And he loved her and he loved me and he loves all of us. And it was that day, in that moment, he was planting this seed so that I could come to him and you know, that's why I'm up here today. Because it could have been the other way around. It could have been that I wasn't just not here. I could have not been at church. I could have not known anything about him. But instead, he planted that seed through my sister's life because it was real to her. And that seed blossomed in me. And that's what our lives need to be doing, blossoming in other people. That light that we shine should be watering that plant that God is nurturing in their lives. So, what I want us to end with today is prayer. And I want us to pray for two things. Um, I want us to pray that God will reveal to us the things in our lives that are standing in the way of us truly following him and that we would get mastery over that and that we wouldn't just be aware but we'd be not we'd be willing to change and we would be changed and then next i want us to say to ourselves and i know sometimes when we we make these prayers we have this hesitation in our heart um, but I want us to just say it, that we're going to hand over our lives to God and ask him, what should we be doing and how should we be doing it? Who should we be reaching out to? Just where does he want to lead us? And I'm going to pray for myself too, because I'm nowhere further in this race than you are. I'm maybe behind. And I want him to do this in my life too. So uh, we'll pray for, I guess, about five minutes and maybe the worship team can come up or Kevin. (laughs)